inside is Pharaoh looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh dashed to the lead from Abbey Glen and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday's September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton trained Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020 the scone mare It's Me who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcado became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and racingnewsouthwales.com.au. Eminently successful jockey Michael Carl has been nurturing one final ambition for some time now, and that's to ride in races until age 60. That's still about 17 months away, and by his own admission, the quality of his rides isn't what it used to be. There are still plenty of offers, and only recently he found himself riding on six consecutive days, but the majority of those rides were quoted at double-figure odds. Here is a man who has absolutely nothing to prove. In a distinguished career of more than 40 years, he's ridden over 2,600 winners in several jurisdictions, including six Group 1s and dozens of stakes races. His career started in the New South Wales Western Districts. He had a short stint with Neville Begg at Randwick and then accepted an offer to be full-time track work and race rider for Mike Willis's Transmedia Park operation. He later became stable jockey for Richard Freyer, winning 70 races in 18 months. He was enticed to Queensland by Bruce McLaughlin and that led him to a stable retainer with Gerald Ryan on the Gold Coast. Apart from short trips to Singapore, Hong Kong and Macau, he hasn't left Queensland where he's been in the top bracket of riders for more than 25 years. He's been frustrated by several injury and force layoffs in recent times, but his enthusiasm remains intact. Not all top jockeys can be described as stylists, but Michael Carl is one whose style hasn't changed with the passing of the years. It's envied by fellow riders and easily identifiable to punters who are watching on the Sky Racing coverage. Michael Carl's online to talk to us. Thanks for your time, Michael. Always a delight to have you on the podcast. Uh, you're welcome, John. It's a pleasure to, to, um, to be asked. Your late dad, Ozzie, who was a pretty good bush jockey himself, always encouraged you and your brother Matthew to look as neat as possible on a horse. Yeah, John, he did. He, uh, that was his style of riding and he, uh, when we were learning, coming through, coming through the ropes, he, uh, he taught us at low style, which was pretty much the fashion in those days, look, sit low and neat and look straight between their ears and try and keep balanced and use the whip as a last resort. That was the way we were taught and we pretty much abided by that uh, throughout both our careers. But, mm. yeah, we've got our father to thank for that. I've been curious about one habit you've developed over the years and that's the practice of using two sets of goggles. You have one pair over your eyes, the other sitting on your silk cap. 
I can't think of another rider in Australia who uses the same tactic. No, you're probably right, John. I, I picked that up uh, from riding in different countries against jockeys from dip, of different nationalities and uh, just uh, just more the idea was to have an extra pair just in case something unexpected happens and also to help with you know, get varying uh, degrees of kickback on certain tracks and when the, when the kickback is a bit uh, worse than normal, I'll, I'll use the two pairs. And if there's a bit of drizzle or a bit of rain about, I do the same, but it's just mm. a habit I picked up probably 10 or 12 years ago. Mm. Well, there's been no shortage of rides lately and you've been bobbing up with a winner here and there, including a treble at Ipswich not too long ago. Three or four main chances in most races, Michael, and a stack of jockeys all trying to get on them. It, it's going to restrict opportunity. Yeah, you're right, John. It's a very competitive industry. There's no doubt about that. And I'm coming into the twilight years of my career now too, and I've had a very good run. I've been very uh, lucky throughout my career and always commanded pretty good rides, but I suppose there comes a time when you're not going to be at the forefront of uh, trainers and owners' minds as you were in the past, especially with so many good young riders coming through. When a jockey is in the veteran class, the last thing he or she needs is an injury because that injury takes longer to heal and the grind of rehabilitation is much tougher. Now, everything was going along beautifully at the end of 2021 when you hit the deck on a horse called Why We Drink on the sunny coast. Diagnosis, a stable fracture of the C4 and a fracture of the left scapula. I can imagine what you said under your breath. Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't uh, good timing, John, but then no, no injury probably is. But uh, I remember actually when I was going through the air thinking, oh, this is going to be a pretty simple fall. I should get out of this okay. It's just mm. only the split second thoughts you do have in circumstances like that. But it didn't turn out that way. I, I landed heavily on my left shoulder and, mm. yeah, got a probably very – it was a painful injury and a, a, I was about seven months out with that. And as you say, you don't you don't sort of recover as good as you did when you were younger. Mm. It was seven months before you rode again and what a dream return. You won on Wham! for Lindsay Hatch on your very first day back. When you're coming back from injury or any long absence, it's so important to get your name on the board quickly. You're right, John. Absolutely, and I was, and I had I think about four or five rides that day at Dooman, my first day back, and that horse of Lindsay Hatch's was in the last race, and his his form wasn't the greatest, but he, he's a very good judge, Lindsay Hatch, as well as being a very good trainer. And he, he called me the evening before he wasn't going to be at the meeting, and he said, "That horse you're riding for me in the last tomorrow, I, I'll give him a very good chance." and and I thought to myself, well, we might need to improve on recent efforts, but he was right. The horse won. Mm. Well, you had a good run for nine months and then another mishap. You clipped heels on a horse coming to the home turn at Doombin and down you go with young Lani Allen crashing over the top. Lani's still out and um, you got fractures to the left and right scapulas but you heal very quickly, Mike. You seem to be back in no time. Yeah, you're right, John. Uh, I got out of it much better than than uh, poor Lani did. She, as you say, she's still out of a complicated ankle injury, I think it was. But I um I got through it, got out of it very lightly. Just had two minor fractures, as you say, and I I, was, I didn't want to be out for too long, and I was able to be back within four weeks. So mm. so I was pretty fortunate there. Yeah. Your background story is an absorbing one, Mike. Your brother Matthew and your sister grew up in Cowra on the Lachlan River in the Central West. You were apprenticed to your dad, Ozzy, as we mentioned. He'd been a good bush jockey and he just happened to be an excellent tutor. You tell me, Michael, when you started riding, uh, he would look line up your rides for you and he was very careful to put you on the right horse. Yes, I had a dream start, John. Uh, my early rides were pretty much hand-picked and even coming through riding track work, I was never put on horses that I couldn't handle and and he always, my father always was of the view that young riders can get their confidence knocked about if they're not 
not uh, put on the right horses. Of course, you have to learn to ride. Not every horse is a, is a child's pony, but that comes with experience, being able to manage those more difficult horses. And, no, I, I had a, a really uh, a dream start into it. And, and, of course, in those days, we didn't have the amount of barrier trials that mm. there are. Uh, are put on nowadays so i probably only had about trials before i rode in races and my father made sure that my early rides were only in small fields and on horses that i could handle and mm. yeah i just had a, a really terrific start into it you've never forgotten the occasion of your first winning ride it was melbourne cup day 1980 the day belldale ball won the melbourne cup for john letts and colin hayes you were at the orange meeting and you won on a mare called Lady Swan. And onlookers on the day tell me you were more excited than Johnny Letts was after the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, I probably was, John. I was – it's one of, always one of my favourite days of the year, Melbourne Cup day. I used to always try and get it off school, not that I was successful, but that was my idea. But, I, um, yeah, it was great to ride my first winner on Melbourne Cup day, and, and that would be right. I would have been pretty excited. Strangely, I was very confident going into the race for – the 15-year-old boy having about, I think it was my third ride in a race, and mm. I just um, thought to myself, she, she's a good thing, and that was luckily, that's how it turned out. Yeah, short race, was it? No, it was a mile, a mm. mile. One, they used to run country stakes, rural stakes in the in mm. the regional areas in those days, and it was one of those. And she was a handy mare, Lady Swan, and and she was uh, she was too good. She was she was the mare that I got my license to ride in races on. She was mm. my first barrier trial, and I think she was one of the first race horses I ever rode work. So it was pretty fitting that she provided me with that first win, John. Mm. Before long, you were being being offered rides all over the Western Districts, and your wonderful mum Margaret had the job of getting you there. She drove you to a million race meetings over a long period of years and she later did the same for Brother Matt when he became an in-demand apprentice. What a tower of strength, Margaret Carl. Yeah, she certainly is and was, John. She uh, she put us first and, yeah, it wouldn't matter how far the meeting was or the weather was like, and, and she wasn't that experienced a driver herself either. She'd only gained a licence probably a couple of years prior to that, but mm. she had no qualms. She'd set off to... Places like Tamworth and Quirindi and Wagga and, yeah, yeah everywhere just to um, help mm. us get a start in the game. You tell me mum is now 92 years young, still living in Cowra. She has reasonable health and she watches every ride you and Matthew have. Yeah, that's right, John. No, mum's health is still pretty good. She's We've been very fortunate with her and mum still takes a great interest in the racing and, She's a um, an avid follower of Matthew and myself, and yeah, she spends plenty of time in front of the television watching our rides. That's for sure. She's been mm. a great support. And your sister Catherine trains a handful of horses, and that gives Mum an added interest. Yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, Catherine's always got not many. She's quite busy with her with her work, but she has uh, anywhere from two to four at different times of the year in training. Mm. I think your dad made it into his early 90s too, didn't he? He did, John, you're right. Yeah, passed in about 2009. Yes, yeah. Now let me test your memory here. You won a race at Canterbury one day in 1982 for a Cowra trainer called Viv Miller. After the race, your mother was approached by a very high-profile Sydney trainer. Do you recall that happening? Yeah, I do, John. Yeah, I sure do. Who was that? Uh, Neville Begg. Mm. What did he say? Oh, he was – He uh, yeah, it was a great honour for a young boy from the country. Just, I think that was my third ride in the city. I won on that horse idle, John, at Canterbury. And, yeah, and Mr Begg asked Mum if it would be okay if he called my father to come down and uh, ride some of his horses, some of the horses that you need to claim with. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, of course, it was a, a great opportunity for a young boy from the country, that's for sure. Mm. During that stint with Neville Begg, you were riding work with some very high-profile jockeys, all of whom were happy to offer tuition. Who were they? Yeah, Neville had a, a good lineup of jockeys there. 
John, uh, Ron Quinton, of course, was his stable rider. Kevin Moses at that time was spending part of the year in Ireland, but he was there. And Wayne Harris was mm. was riding quite a bit of track work for Neville, Neville as was uh, Stephen Jeffries as well. Yeah, it was a, a um, some pretty talented riders there. And I uh, I started off just travelling down from home to ride for Neville when he required me, which could be twice a week or it could be once a fortnight. Mm. I was riding for some of the other city trainers as well. And I ended up moving down with Neville for a few months, but I, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I liked the riding. I liked the Sydney racing scene, but I just didn't like the city life. And no. being a country boy, John, I, I, um, I love the fishing and the hunting and yeah. all the other things country boys do. And yeah, I couldn't. No. I pretty much pined for the bush. Couldn't handle it. No, I wanted no. to. I not, the bush. John. Yeah, a bushy at heart. Well, you got back to Cowra. And you were barely there when you received a tempting offer from a bloke called Mike Willisey, who was setting up a state-of-the-art training operation at Cootamundra, Transmedia Park Stud. He put in two beautiful work tracks where he pre-trained some beautifully bred stock and most of them went to Sydney trainers. If they were not up to city class, they came back to Cootamundra to be trained by Gary Kirkup. You took the job and you were there for quite a while. Yes, John, that's right. I was uh, I was Gary's stable rider for about two and a half years, I think, and I had a great time there. Gary and his family were very good to me, his father Ray and his and Gary's mother. I had, had a really uh, long, successful period riding for them based there at Cootamundra, and we had some nice young horses to work with as well. Mm. The best horse you got to ride, I believe, in the Willisey Colours was a mare called Ice Cream Sunday. You won seven races on that mare, including a couple in town. That's right, John. I won, she won the first four. I remember riding her. I think her first win in the race might have been a Cootamundra Maiden, but she won at Randwick, I think, a fourth start. and mm. She was an above-average mare. I think she went on and won a Tristark Stakes in Melbourne for Gary and Mike and as well as other stakes races in Sydney. But, yeah, she was a she was a really good mare. Mm. Before we leave Transmedia, we should mention some of the stallions that stood on that property during your time. Which ones do you recall? Uh, well, there's some good size there. John Ron Shirtless, who trained Wiggle to win a Stradbroke, I believe, was the stallion manager at the time. And mm. we had Rubiton, uh, Snippets, Sovereign Red was there, and Sudapa. Gee, what a quartet. So yeah, good line-up. And there was a couple of others whose names just escaped me now too who were who were pretty good size, but they were the leading ones. But, yeah, a pretty good, decent line-up of mm. stallions. Not surprisingly, you came under the notice of the late Richard Freyer, who had by this stage achieved legendary status as a trainer in the Riverina. I think he finished up winning 16 Southern Districts premierships. He offered you a pretty good job. Yes, he did, John. He's uh, that name, the Freya name, was an institution in the Riverina and northeast Victoria, from there down on their base at Corowa on the Victorian border. And Richard uh, offered me the job of becoming stable rider, and I, yeah, I went down. I think I was there for probably almost two years. Mm. And you had a good run, plenty of winners. Well. You nearly couldn't help but ride winners, John, when you're riding for Richard Freyer in that area. He was uh, had a big team of horses and his father, Jack, before him, they, they had great success. And, and also in Melbourne too, they had, you know, quite a lot of city-class horses that they trained over the years and he gave me a lot of my early rides in Melbourne were for the Freyer family. But, mm. no, I had a um, – I was very fortunate to be able to, to be considered for a job like that. In 1994 – you got your first taste of the northern New South Wales climate when trainers Jack Gallagher and Eric Sanford invited you to ride their horses over the Grafton and Coffs Harbour Cup carnivals. You rode a few winners, but more importantly, you fell in love with that part of the state. Yeah, John, I had a, um, I had a pretty successful time and the climate was probably the biggest attraction for me. I just had just uh, seemed to be able to manage my weight a bit better mm. and, uh, yeah, it turned out turned out okay. 
You went to the Gold Coast a bit after to ride some horses for Eric Sanford, and the further north you got, the better you liked it. And then came an offer from Bruce McLaughlin, who'd opened his famous Thorn the Hill Park training complex at Caboolture. What did Bruce want you to do? I just, uh, the, the offer was, John, to ride Bruce McLaughlin's horses at the Gold Coast on a Saturday, mm-hmm. and I had to go to Thornhill Park on a Monday morning and ride track work. And I ummed an art about it because I had, a pretty, I had it pretty good down in the Central West, but I thought, oh, there can't be any harm in, in just giving it a go for a few months and see how things work out. I, I, knew, uh, I knew Barry Bowditch who had moved to the Gold Coast not too long before and mm. was going going good with a nice team of horses. I knew I was going to get some support from him, so I decided to base myself here at the Gold Coast and mm. travel up to Thornhill Park one day a week, and that's how I came to stay here. Mm. And then along came a bloke called Gerald Ryan, who had also opened stables on the Gold Coast, and he came looking for Michael Carl with an offer to become his stable jockey. Yes, I, I rode a lot for Gerald, uh, John, and he was he was a great trainer, Gerald Ryan, really great trainer, and I he gave me some great opportunities. And when I was riding for Gerald, I was just able to uh, get on those horses that were just that bit better, bit better level horses that were black type type grade, quite a few of them, and and I got some great exposure through riding for him. Mm. You were a a late entry in the marriage stakes, Michael. Now, by this time, you'd met a charming English girl called Maxine Harris, who'd been a riding instructor in England, and she too loved that Queensland sunshine. Yes, yes, she found the the climate a bit bit more friendly than, than Liverpool, where she was from in England, but Maxine was out here on a working holiday when I met her, and and... Of course, she hadn't uh, hadn't had much experience with thoroughbreds, but it was all equestrian from where her part of the world was. But yeah, we ended up uh, the rest is history, so they say. Yeah, and Michael, she wasn't a racing buff, was she? By any means, she's had to learn the jargon, learn the language, uh, <laughs> but she watches very closely when you're riding at a race meeting. Yeah, no, she's been a great supporter, John, and yeah, certainly a great supporter of mine. That's for sure. Your first overseas stint was in Singapore in 1998. How did that happen? Uh, I never really had harboured any intention to ride overseas when I was younger, being based down at home at Cowra, John. But when I started to have some success here, and you're hearing stories of different jockeys coming and going to different parts of the world, and I thought I wouldn't mind trying that. And in those days, you had to be in the top in Brisbane to be able to gain a licence in Singapore, Malaysia. Singapore was part of the Malaysian circuit in those days. And, yeah, I got into the top three, I think, and I thought I might – and you wouldn't want to know, I got asked to go if I was interested in going Mm. to ride in uh, first Malaysia, then Singapore, and I I jumped at the opportunity. So that's where – that's how I started – first started to go there. Yeah, plenty of winners up there. Yeah, I was lucky, John. I had a good time. I was riding for some good trainers – Mm. In Singapore, and got on some nice horses, and uh, yeah, that uh, that was the start of my uh, passion, I suppose, to ride internationally. Yeah, and you also rode against a couple of top New Zealand jockeys during that trip. Yes, Greg Childs, Opie Bosson was, I think, not long out of his apprenticeship. Mm. They were both there, as well as some good European riders as well. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous learning. Uh, opportunity for me. I just found that going to different places like that, riding against different riders, just, just, I don't know if I gained confidence from it, but my riding just seemed to improve. Mm. We'll talk about your kids, Amelia and Harry, a little later, but for now, we're going to highlight some of the top horses you've ridden in Queensland. And we'll do that, Mike, after we clear this commitment. Back with Michael Carl in a moment. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not 
try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance, a highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy and fit at all times and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete. By the year 2000, you were a regular at the Brisbane Metropolitan Meetings, and this is when Danny Bagore started to put you on a brilliant horse called Falvalon. You told me once he's the fastest horse you've ever ridden. Does that still hold? Yeah, it does, John. I don't think I've ridden a horse as fast. Mm. You mean he just pinged the gates running? Oh, yes, yeah, very very quick out of the gates, but he'd switch off. He'd, I think I first got a taste of his speed. I went up and rode in track work one morning. It would have been the Tuesday before the Carlton Cup, mm. and which was run at Doom, and, and I, Danny asked me to, I think, gallop 600 on him, and I don't think to this day I've had a horse go as fast. And he came out and he, and he, he bolted in on the Saturday. It was a group two lead up to the Doom and 10,000. Yeah. Mike, I was very surprised to learn that you only rode him a total of six times. You rode him firstly as a three-year-old for that win you just mentioned, the Carlton Cup. You ran third in the Doombin 10,000 to Mr Innocent and a close fifth in uh, the Stradbroke to land siding. And looking back, he was probably still short of his best at that stage, wasn't he? He was, John. He was a horse that got better. He, sh- he always showed above average ability and was racing in the top grade but he he got better as he matured and he was a horse that didn't really like soft tracks he needed firm ground to show his best but as he went on got that he was he got that way that he was competitive on soft tracks but as a three-year-old and probably early four-year-old he really needed firm ground to be at his best but you were out injured when Falvalon went to Melbourne in the spring of 2000 to win two Group 2 races with Damien Oliver picking up the ride. That must have hurt. Yeah, it was just unfortunate, John. I had a fall. I was booked to ride him. I was going to I was going to, to Melbourne to ride him in those races, but I had a fall in the September, I think it was, early September at the Sunshine Coast. It was, quite, mm. it was the most serious one I've had, and yeah. that had been out for three months, and, yeah, I missed, I missed out on riding him, which was which was a shame, but anyway, I was able to get back on him one or two more times after that. That was a nasty fall, the one you mentioned at the sunny coast. I know you suffered a a brain bleed and you knocked yourself about very badly and you were very frustrated about that because that was, I think, your fourth fall at Caloundra or maybe your third. And uh, looking back, it's... It's hard to believe you could fall on that beautiful, big, spacious race course. It looks the safest track in the land. You're right, John. It, it is, and I've ridden on, I've ridden on tracks that you couldn't quite uh, describe them as you just did about that one. But it's a, it's a beautiful track, the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, but mm. it's just the way it seems to be. And I've had a, yeah, I've had a few falls up there. I suppose they do race a lot too, but. But that was certainly a, a nasty one. Yeah. Well, Danny Bagore did the right thing, Mike. He put you back on in the following autumn uh, when his first two runs back were in Sydney, surprisingly. He ran third in one of them. Yes, he did. He ran first up in the Galaxy and he was a sh- probably a shade disappointing, but he might not have been quite at his top for that. His next run in the TJ Smith was very good. Mm. He ran third in that, and the ground was a little bit unsuitable for him. And mm. I remember uh, saying to Danny after that, I thought he's going to be very hard to beat in the Doom of 10,000 on, on that run. Mm. Well, you stuck with Falvalon for the Doomben 10,000, and it was a hot field in 2001. 
And you beat a beautiful mare, Michael. She was one of my favourites at the time, Spinning Hill. A lovely-looking mare, beautifully bred mare, uh, and she loved to sit off a high speed. Mr Innocent ran third. He was never far away, was he? No, he was a very honest horse, John, at that level. And, yeah, Falvalon drew a good barrier, drew, I think, three or four from memory. He had a beautiful run in the race, and, and she, she made a race of it. That mare, as you say, she was a very good mare spinning hill, but he was right at his top and mm. and he was uh, he was too good. You accepted an offer to ride in Hong Kong after the Doombin 10,000 win. Did you go as a club jockey? Yes, John, yeah. I went um, as a club jockey. The Hong Kong Jockey Club asked if I'd be interested in applying for a, a job there and I waited up. I was going very as you know, I was going very well here at the time. I was a long way in front in the premiership and getting offers from nice stables to ride at some of the interstate carnivals. And mm. but not many, not everyone gets the opportunity to ride in Hong Kong. And I thought I might not come again, so I uh, mm. so I accepted it. You started with a bang. You won at your very first race ride on a horse called Able Choice for John Moore. You'd have to pinch yourself. Yeah, you're right, John, because after I accepted the offer to go there, I was getting a lot of, well, people, getting a lot of information about how hard it was and might not have done the right thing here anyway. To go there and win the first ride, it was it was a really good thrill and he was a good two-year-old, able choice. Well, he was a very good horse, but that was his first start in the race and mm-hmm. I remember jumping him out on the Thursday for John Moore and he gave me a pretty good feel and I, I wasn't sure how strong the opposition was or how good they had to be. Mm-hmm. To win a chart in, but he, uh, I thought this fellow's going to run pretty well, and, and he did too. He led all the way. Mm. How did the Macau offer come up? Uh, I'd been in Hong Kong for about 18 months, I think, and things were slowing down a bit. I was finding it a bit difficult to manage my weight. And Ian Patterson, who was the head steward in Macau at the time, the Hong Kong season was coming to a close and he asked me if I'd be interested in applying for a licence there in the new season. And I thought about it and I thought, well, the fact that I've been over here for a while now and I had some reasonable connections with Hong Kong owners who also had horses in Macau, mm. I thought I'd give that a go. Yeah, well, thank goodness you did because you were there when several Aussie trainers were active and you had enough support to win the Macau Jockeys Premiership with an amazing tally for the season, 112 wins, including the Group 1 Macau Derby for Mick Kent. Yeah, John, it, worked, it turned out to be a good move. Macau Racing was very strong, was probably probably at, a, at its peak in those days. There was a lot of horses there, and as you just alluded to, a lot of good trainers, and I was fortunate to be in a position to ride for them. Mick mm-hmm. Kent, Russell Cameron, Barry Baldwin, among others. But I, I had a, a great season, and the amount of winners I rode was a record at that time. And as you say, won the derby and, yeah, rode multiple winners plenty of times throughout the season and, and, and really enjoyed it. Mm. You've already mentioned that you threw one Brisbane Jockeys Premiership away. You had a big lead uh, in the Brisbane Metro Premiership at the time you went to Hong Kong. You did finally win a Brisbane Jockeys Premiership, which sits nicely on your CV, and you were runner-up to Tim Bell in another one. Only a win or two between you, I think. You're right, John. Yeah, that was the that was the following year after I won it. Tim mm. Bell and Tim and I had a good battle for most of the season, but uh, he came out on top that year. But I was, I've been fortunate. I've been in the top three quite a few times, and mm. yeah, nice to have won it. Two thousand and five brought you a win in the historic Stradbroke. You rode a horse called Saint Basil for your great supporter. Bevan Lamming. That horse did a good job on the day, Michael, from a wide barrier. Yeah, he did, John. I'd only not long been back from uh, from Asia and, and he, uh, he drew 17, but he, as you say, he beat a good field, perfect promise, and Shamika filled the placings and some, some good horses behind those two as well. But he had a pretty good run in the race back about midfield and, yeah, it was great to win that race, especially for Bevan Lemming, who's been a 
a terrific supporter of mine. I think I won my first ride in a race for him. It must have been about 1996 at Ipswich on a horse called Silver Raymond. But I've mm-hmm. had a, a lot of success for Bevan over the years. So he, as well as he gave me my, my first group winner in Melbourne, Group 2 Champagne Stakes at Mooney Valley on one of his yeah. three-year-old filly on the ripper. But it was a, that was that just really um, – that was a, it was a great to be able to win that race. 2013 brought you a great thrill. You won the Magic Millions two-year-old classic on Real Surreal for the late, great Kelso Wood. There's a bloke. Couldn't he get one ready? I was a great trainer, John. A great trainer, Kelso Wood, a terrific judge of horses. And I was fortunate to ride quite a bit for him. And the owners of that filly were good supporters of mine too, Peter and Michelle McMahon. Mm. And I'd ridden a... Early in the season, she showed pretty good ability. Didn't have a lot of speed. Used to get back in her races and drew an inside barrier in the Magic Millions. And I thought we're probably too far back in running after we'd gone a couple of furlongs. I'd hoped to be been closer, but I had to um, ride it as it was. And we got a great run through. And she, she had a powerful finish and she overhauled a, a, another very good Philly sweet idea in the mm. shadows of the post to win it. Good on you. Another nice one was the Group 1 Winter Stakes, as it was known then. It's now called the Tats Tiara. Philly's name was Russeting for Bart Cummings. I think it was your only ride on Russeting and one of very few for Bart. Yeah, you're right, John. I rode, uh, I rode a bit for Bart, the late Bart Cummings, when he had his stable here in Brisbane. And I won the Healy Stakes on El Morata for him and oh, a couple of other listed type winners but that was my biggest success for him and and, and mm. it was a terrific thrill to win a group one for a legend legendary trainer like Bart Cummings. Mm. Mike another feather in your cap uh, was the fact that Melbourne trainer Doug Harrison came looking for you when he brought a horse called Natural Blitz to Brisbane one year you ran third on the horse in the Doomban Cup you won the PJ O'Shea Stakes and, I mean, that was an absolute pick-up ride. How did you get on him? I'm not sure, John, how I came to gain the ride on that horse, but he he, he caught. I never really thought much about it at the time because I rode, used to ride a lot for um, interstate trainers coming here, but he ran very well in the Derman Cup, didn't get mm. beat far, and he bolted him, bolted him in the O'Shea. I think he might have backed up the week later, and he was a better horse the next week mm. and carried a big weight and didn't run over his best in the Ipswich Cup. And then, yeah, I rode him a bit in the spring after that, but he was a very good horse, Natural Blitz. Yes. Oh, obviously. You rode him in the Caulfield Cup, won by Railings. I think he ran fourth, Michael, and he wasn't very far away. No, he ran well, John. He did. He, he, he ran fourth, and he was, a, he was a group one performer. Now, you had another very pleasing pick-up opportunity in 2018 when a New Zealand trainer called Tony Pike turned up in Brisbane with a sprinter called the Bostonian. You won three straight on him that first time, including two stakes races on the sunny coast. Now, looking back then to that treble, did he feel like a Group 1 horse? I wouldn't say he felt like a Group 1 horse at that stage, John, but he was a very good horse and he had a great temperament and... I thought, well, that's de- stood him in great stead, and it was just a matter of how much he improved. He was only a three, year, lightly raced three-year-old, and and he went back to New Zealand and spelled after that. But he 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 just got better and better. Mm. He had a few runs in New Zealand early in two thousand and nineteen, and I seem to recall you actually flew over and rode him in a Group One race one day. Was it at Otaki? You're right, John, I did. I went over and rode him. I just can't remember the name of the race now. It was a pretty wet track. He wasn't quite at his best on that surface, but he still ran well. But it was a, took a very good mare to win, Melody Bell. Mm. She won the race. But, but I think he might have ran fourth in it. Yeah. Well, three months later, Tony was back in Brisbane with the Bostonian and you were the jockey again and you politely reeled off two group ones the Doomben 10,000 and the Kingsford Smith Cup. Now, Michael, at that stage of your career, wasn't that a wonderful thing to happen, a Group 1 double? Yeah, it was, John, at that stage of my career. I probably didn't expect to to uh, unite with a horse like that 
and he, uh, as I said, even though he showed very good ability the season before, probably didn't really expect him to to be able to come back and win those races at that level. When he was first up in the Derman 10,000, I think he was a pretty good odds. It was a good field, natural blitz, yeah. trekking, etc. But he had a very good run in the race, and mm. and it was a little bit tight for room early part of the straight, and then he, he sort of got a little bit of an opening inside the furlong. And I remember just as he was about to hit the front, I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to win another Doom in 10,000. Uh, did couldn't you? Really, yeah. Couldn't really believe it. But trekking came late, but he uh, but he had too much of an advantage. And, yeah, it was a extraordinary, really. Mm. Just touching on a couple of stakes wins in Sydney uh, that have come into my mind again, I seem to recall you were winning a Liverpool City Cup one day at Warwick Farm on a horse called Bomber Bill. Was Robert Smurden the trainer? Uh, Russell Cameron, I think. John. Oh, he had him then, did he? Yeah. I had him then. Yeah, that was uh, that was probably about a week before I left to go to Hong Kong. Mm. And I went down a road. I had a few rides on the day, but he won easy. Yeah. Won that race very easily by my bill. Oh, he was a good old horse, Mike. I think he finished up winning three or four Group 1s and he, he seemed to race forever. He had almost 100 starts. You're right. He had a great career, didn't he? Yeah, terrific old horse. Mm. You were riding a very smart two-year-old in the autumn of 2000 by the name of Great Crusader. You won consecutive races on him at Eagle Farm and the Gold Coast. Then they brought him to Sydney to win the Todman Slipper. And he absolutely blitzed him on that occasion. He did, John, too. There was an odds on favourite in the race and he drew well and he had a good run but in the race, but he, I don't think anyone expected him to win really, but he, he won with a bit of authority and uh, he was a smart two-year-old. Mm. You rode him in the golden slipper won by Belle du Jour. He gave a bit of cheek too. He ran well, John. He drew the, from memory, he drew the extreme outside or very close to it and... And under the circumstances, he did a very good job to run where he did. But you're right, Belle du Jour won the race. Just skimming through some notable wins in your scrapbook. What about a Gay Waterhouse Classic four times? Caloundra Cup twice, in fact. The Glasshouse twice. A Toowoomba Cup, an Ipswich Cup. Eyeliner Stakes, the Doomben Roses. You've won the Healy Stakes three times. You've won a Hollandale. You've won a Grafton Cup. You've run a Ramorny Handicap. How did you ever get beaten at your first race ride at Goolagong? <laughs> yeah, I think it was pilot error, John. had a bit to do with it. <laughs> 1979, I'm sorry to mention. Yeah, I just got – he was a good horse too, a horse called Red Afro. He, he yeah. won a 1,000-metre two-year-old race at Randwick, but he was in the twilight of his career – that day, and yeah, my my inexperience probably got him beat, but he only just got beat, and and, and it was a good horse that beat him too, Cap Tease. <laughs> now, we've got to mention Brother Matthew, Mike, before we wind up. He's just back from injury. Many thought he wouldn't come back, but they don't know Matthew. He's had several opportunities to ride in Sydney, but like you, he's a bushy at heart. He's ridden a massive number of winners in the Central West and the Southern Districts for a wide range of trainers who love putting him on. Yeah, Matthew's had a good career, John. He's, he's, uh, he was a leading apprentice in Sydney when he was apprentice to Jack Denham, but he, he didn't want to stay. He liked the country lifestyle like myself and came back. And oh, he's, yeah, as you know, he's won a lot of a lot, nearly all the big country races. I think he's won four Albury Cups, two Wagga Cups, mm. three Wagga Town Plates. Three Wellington boots or a morning handicap. He's he's been very fortunate and mm. a black opal stakes as well. And yeah, he um does a lot of travelling when he's back in full swing riding, but he's he's only been back a week or so now from a, a very serious injury that yeah, potentially could have stopped his career, but he he um he was eager to, to come back and go out on his own terms, hopefully, John. So mm. so it's early days yet with his comeback, but he's he says he's feeling as fit as ever and as good as ever on a horse, so we'll mm. go from there. Michael, Shane Dye is currently driving a campaign for the authorities to launch an intensive investigation into the spate of spinal injuries 
suffered by jockeys in recent times. There's a very strong belief that the vests currently being used are contributing to the likelihood of spinal and upper neck injuries. Now, Shane isn't the only experienced jockey to express concern. Michael Carl is another. Yeah, I just think the statistics show it, John. There's just too many common injuries, so many neck and and spinal vertebrae here and there. There must be – there's multiple, multiple injuries. I wouldn't like to go into the, the numbers, but it's pretty high, I can tell you that. And you just hope that we can have – that the powers that be can have a, a good look into it and see if they can come up with something that's – that can protect us and not cause or not contribute to all these neck and spinal injuries. Mm. Michael, the current vests are fairly rigid, aren't they? And the, therein seems to to lie the problem. There's no giving. Yeah. No, that seems to be the general consensus, John. They just seem to restrict your movement when you do fall. And while they protect certain areas, they seem to be letting letting things down when it comes to, uh, to saving else vertebrae and, and around our neck muscles, which seem to be bearing the brunt of these falls, and there's just so many, so many of these common injuries. I think there is a pretty profound investigation underway. Let's hope the problems resolve, Michael, before somebody else gets hurt. Hopefully, John, yeah, hopefully it is. You and Maxine are the proud parents of Amelia, who's 19. She's studying law and you tell me she's working two jobs to help with the excess. Yeah, Amelia's got a good work ethic, John, and she's uh, doing a law and in international relations degree, and she has, uh, as you said, had a couple of time job, part-time jobs to help her with things, and, she, yeah, she doesn't get a lot of time. She's pretty committed to it, but, no, she's, she's going very well. Now, Michael, I've got to talk to you about young Harry. He's 13 years of age. About a year ago, you told me that his two primary interests in life were computer games and motorbikes, not racing. All of a sudden, there's been a change in his thinking. What's going on there? Yeah, you're right, John. Strangely enough, I think the, the racing, the thoroughbred to replace the motorbike, it seems oh, to be. But, yeah, the computer games are still pretty high on the list, but the the racing uh, game has overtaken, I think, both of them. Mm. You've had him on a pony. Yeah, yeah, he's been uh, he's been riding. He goes out to uh, Tegan Harrison's place. She's got a a beautiful ex racehorse who's really quiet, and he goes out and rides him and canters around. And when we go down to my mother's place in Central New South Wales, there's a a pony or two he can ride down there as well. So he's mm. yeah, he's been riding for probably the last twelve months and. And very early days yet from John, but he's pretty passionate about it. How does he look on one? He's got a nice natural seat, nice natural style, but as I said, it's very very early days, but he's showing a lot of interest, let me say yeah. that. How big are his feet? No, not very big, John, not very big. I think he's, a, <laughs> he's the right size. The first thing the old-time trainers you would look at when a kid turned up for an apprenticeship, see how big <laughs> his feet were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I've heard that. Yes. Well, Mike, you're – by the way, should Harry pursue his new dream, how do you and Maxine feel about it? Oh, it's not – I certainly wouldn't encourage him to go into the industry, John, even though it, there are, can be some very high points that can have its low points as well and there is the uh, the danger aspect of it that you probably as parents you probably see more than – uh, and a participant does. I certainly never thought about the danger side of it when I started, but mm. I thought there might have been easier things. But if he's passionate and really wants to do it, you've got to um, you've got to we'd support him. That's for sure. Mike, your many fans will love to see you realise your dream of riding to age sixty. I'm sure you can do it, but you wouldn't mind getting on a few nice horses along the way if possible. Yeah, I. I it's funny, John. When I first started riding, I never really envisaged riding to um, to that age. I thought, oh, mid thirties would probably might be enough for me. But uh, it's just you just don't know how things play out. And in recent times, I thought oh, it would be nice to ride until I'm sixty. But I suppose it's 
at the end of the day, that's just a number. It depends. I think it comes down to the opportunities you're getting and also on how you feel on a horse, if you can still mm. – well, for me it does anyway. As long as I can feel I can still do the job properly, I'm happy to keep riding. I'm still enjoying it mm. and we'll see how things progress. They say reputations don't just happen. They have to be earned. And you've earned a reputation for excellence in 44 years as a professional jockey. You don't need to reach that special milestone to preserve that reputation. But if you do, Michael, I hope there's the winner there on your final day. They lift the roof off the grandstand if that happens. <laughs> Thanks, John. Very kind words. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance, a highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial, or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy, and fit at all times and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete.